This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Social distancing. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson joins us to talk about the new season, which was officially announced on Monday. Later in the hour, our panel discussion with Andrea Glately, Sarah Malian, Jen Herkenroder, Julia Chernyshevich. And Lilith Specht from Witch Doctor, Nelly the Elliebot, Hijinx, Ferocity, and Sporkanok. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Castbox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have 10 news items for you today. First up, the news that we've literally waited an entire pandemic to hear, BattleBots 2020 has officially been confirmed. Filming will start in October with 59 teams confirmed. BattleBots will reveal the full roster of teams this week to BattleBots supporters. So if you haven't signed up to become a supporter yet, head over to the official BattleBots Facebook page to do so now. Greg Munson reveals some early details on the show this week, so stay tuned. It's coming in about 10 minutes. If we were still in the studio where we used to record the podcast, this would be the appropriate time for the... <laughs> wow. So instead, you just have to hear us do it. <laughs> um, all right. So so we, we've we've all heard from Greg like literally 10 minutes ago, um, so we know everything. Um, what, what are your early thoughts on this? I know we haven't had a lot of time to kind of digest, um, just a huge amount of information that he dropped on us. Um, but, uh, but early, early reactions to, uh, to Greg's, Greg's interview. I'm blown away that they're changing the whole thing to naval battles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was saying that underwater, it's uh, less, less chance of COVID, right? Makes right. no sense to me. That's a closed air environment. How the heck are you going to keep people safe from COVID when there's just no place to aspirate freely? Well, everyone's wearing scuba diving outfits, as he said. Um, oh, so right. He, yeah. It contained air systems there. Yeah. Self-contained <laughs> apparatus. Uh, <laughs> I think we're taking this joke a little too deep. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, Kraken and uh, Sharko have you know the best shots at uh, the metric. Yeah, they really gotta thin up. Oh, oh. No, we are cutting. That. All right, that joke is over. <laughs> In related news, BattleBots commentator Chris Rose has sadly shaved his pandemic beard just in time for filming the next season of BattleBots. For months, Chris has appeared on MLB talk shows sporting a full, luxurious beard. 
He wrote on Twitter today that he's uh, shaved it over the weekend and he's back to looking normal. I, that beard, incredible beard. Like I wish that I could, I could grow a beard that uh, that looked that good. It's a solid I, beard. There's no reason why if you have that beard, if you're capable of having that beard, why would you ever shave it? Because it's in Farouk's contract that nobody else can have a beard that rivals his own. And Chris, like, let's face it, Chris Rose's beard was rivaling Farouk's. All right. All right. That is literally the only, only reason I would accept. <laughs> <laughs> the electric blue overhead Sawbot Scorpios took fans through a detailed breakdown of the bot's improvements in the offseason in a new video posted to Facebook this week. This season, team captains Zachary Lytle and Diana Tarlson are adopting brushless Castle 2028 motors, which weigh a little under three pounds each compared to the bot's earlier motors, brushed MagMotor S28s, which weighed nearly seven pounds each. The new motors will give Scorpios a 20% improvement in top speed and a dramatically faster spin-up time. Theoretically. Mysterious new bot Hijinx continues to slowly release hints about their bots, this week revealing that the team is adopting the FR Sky X6R receiver, which supports up to 16 channels with a range of nearly a mile. Really cool receiver. I think these typically go inside of RC airplanes so you can fly it out, uh, you know, quite, quite a far distance and uh, have the airplane return to you. Pretty heavy duty stuff. Uh, they showed off a bunch of these receivers on a table. Um, so uh, they, they certainly have a lot of spares for, for this uh, this season. The thing I really love about uh, hijinks and their social media is that uh, if they keep posting uh, little parts every single week, we will eventually understand what the entire bot looks like. No, no, they gave us mounts. We've got ro motor mounts. And we've mm -hmm. got receivers this past two weeks. That's that tells us nothing. So it's a robot. Well, Great. Uh, the X6R receiver is <laughs> it's gonna it's really going to so deliver some uh, some some fantastic benefits to their four wheel drive system that <laughs> propels their their vertical spinner. <laughs> <laughs> For all we know, that could be true. They showed us tracks that are obviously not going on heavyweight but maybe part of a heavyweight we don't know that we know they have receivers we know parts of the bot are pink and we know that pink doesn't clash and in fact meshes with hypershock's color scheme that's literally it guys that's all the real information <laughs> that we have there's really no guarantee that what they showed in the latest facebook post has anything to do with their bot very true jen might just be getting into flying planes yeah we don't know is there a chance that like Hijinks, uh, oh, hold on. Like that hijinks isn't real. <laughs> because I can't handle that no. in 2020. I, I, I was, can't. I was going to say that like hijinks and hypershock actually can join to make like, like a megabot. Hijinx um, shock. Interesting. <laughs> it's like Voltron. Whoa. Maybe hypershock is just the weapon. <laughs> Hijinx just picks up Hypershock and swings it around. And I'll form the head. <laughs> just a rake. <laughs> oh, that's great. Speaking of new bots, the team behind the rookie pneumatic flipper bot Aegis this week posted Instagram videos of a partial weapons test. Separately, they also posted an updated digital rendering of the bot which appears to be gold and red with a tiger's face painted on the flipper arm. 
Kyle, did you get a chance to uh, see this rendering and check out this video? I did, and I did. I'm actually really excited about this bot. Not because I think that it's going to be like the most amazing badass bot that ever walked the face of the earth. Who knows? But what I do like about it is that it's like totally unique. I mean, they're using Kevlar infused parts on it. It's it's got like a stretch for a stress frame stretch system that's part of its armor system. It's such a weird idea, like a, a strange take on the traditional flipper. And I cannot wait to see this thing in action. Um so yeah, I've been paying a lot of attention to their social media and I love the new rendering. I think it looks really great. And uh, you know, this team's gonna be interesting. Kyle, question, is this the first time that we've had a tiger's face on a robot? I, I mean, there's like no way that this is the first time we've had a tiger's face on a robot. I will say they probably made that design decision at the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was watching Tiger King though. Interesting. Oh, good, good. Topical, topical. <laughs> now we just need a rival bot, Carol Baskin. Yes, exactly <laughs> what we need. <laughs> the team behind the hard-hitting British hammer bot, Beta, posted video of their new electromagnetic system, which is designed to help them deliver bigger hits without lifting off the floor. In a new video posted to Facebook, the team also revealed what their 2020 design looks like without armor. Yes. This Ooh. is this is what Beta was supposed to do from day one, from, from season one when it was supposed to fight in BattleBots and it couldn't because they couldn't get this part working, to season two when they finally did get to fight in BattleBots. This is what this thing was always supposed to do. A lot of folks don't know this, but Beta from season two was actually way tuned down because they couldn't get the magnetic floor plates to work properly. So um, if it did fire its hammer at full power, it just like flapped itself all over the box. So they had to tune the hammer down enough that they could deliver the hits, but still stay reasonably stable. Um, so it's so nice to see proof that their, their concept, their mechanism, that all of this is functioning and that it's going to work. Um, these are really smart people and thank goodness they finally have a real life half inch thick steel floor <laughs> to attach to for firing this hammer off. Yeah, I'm stoked to see this. Speaking of British Hammerbots, Nelly the Elliebot Captain Sarah Mollian published a brief statement this week after a former teammate listed a piece of the 2019 bot for sale on eBay. Sarah says she dismissed one of her team members who no longer represents Team Punchant, but remains in possession of the 2020 build of the bot. Earlier, the team said they planned to skip this season of BattleBots and would build a new version of the bot for the 2021 season. On over to Team Malice, which is again stretching the limits of Team Swag with custom laser cut strategy books emblazoned with the team's name and logo. On Facebook, Team Captain Bunny Sariel wrote, quote, all the inside is going to say is, quote, keep the spinning side towards the other robots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, strategy, strategy, I love it. Uh, this thing, the, these strategy books look so cool. Um, and uh, I just love this team's approach to swag like they have absolutely embraced swag as an art form and um i'm 100 percent here for it <laughs> amen we'd like to extend our congratulations to matthew and jason vasquez from team whiplash who earned their professional certification in solidworks this week matthew and jason are both studying engineering at college and use solidworks for computer-aided design 
This week's must-watch video comes from Witch Doctor Captain Andrea Golately, who published the sixth video in the Witch Doctor Junior series. This time, taking builders through how to turn on the robot safely and calibrate their transmitters. Uh, I feel like I say this after every single Witch Doctor Junior video series that uh, I watch, but this one was so informative, and I am learning something from every single video, even like topics like how to turn it on, how to calibrate your 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 receiver. Um, like the big thing I learned. <laughs> this week. And I feel so embarrassed that I, I admit that I know so little about a sport that I talk about a lot. Um, what the little knobs do on the sides of your, uh, you know, like underneath your, your control sticks. Um, so like they're used to test whether your wheels are like turning at the same time and you can calibrate that so that your bot doesn't turn in strange directions. Uh, when you're driving it around. Super interesting, totally recommend this video. This entire series has been great. Part seven of the series is coming soon and promises to be super exciting. It's going to take you through what to expect at your first competition. So we'll uh, include a link to the latest video in this week's show notes. And finally, we'd like to wish a very happy one year anniversary to Behind the Bots co-host Kyle Kroos, who joined the show one year ago this month filling in for me while I spent 10 days in the Alaskan wilderness driving a cranky octogenarian to and from fishing outings. <laughs> Chris, Chris, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Kyle. Sounds a lot like my dad, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I drove Chris's dad all over Alaska. I'm talking about all over Alaska. And uh, it was it was it was something. <laughs> Uh, Kyle, though, uh, I, I do want to just thank you for joining the show. Uh, you have, <laughs> like, your technical knowledge of the sport is just absolutely unparalleled. I feel like I learn something new from you every single week. So um, really glad to uh, have you here. And I think now now a year in, Chris and Lindsay, I think maybe we could we could bump Kyle up from guest co-host to a full-time co-host. What, what, what do you think? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> One more year. Trial run. <laughs> All right, one more year. I'll put in the time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe in two years. Kyle, you've been a fantastic addition, and uh, you've you've become a very good friend. Well, I think the same of you guys. And you have great advice on how to kill flies. <laughs> As it turns out, yeah. <laughs> we need to get the bug assault sponsorship going, like right now. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, tell tell us about this. So you. <laughs> You got a you got a note from a from a listener who purchased yeah. these things. It was just right to our uh, Facebook page, right? So they messaged directly to the Facebook page and were like, "Hey, thanks for the great advice on my bug assault. I've already started using it successfully." Um, and the guy put a picture of his uh, green and yellow bug assault in the uh, in the caption. So apparently, we're shilling for the bug assault corporation now. Um, just because I, at one point mentioned that's how, that's my preferred method of killing flies on the podcast. So, you know, I'm going to reach out to the company this week and tell them we've already sold, uh, one of their products on our podcast and they should sponsor us. Good idea. I like that. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with BattleBots co-creator, Greg Munson. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, BattleBots co-creator Greg Monson. For hey months, everyone. Oh, hold on. 
We'll get to you in a second, Greg. I'm so excited. (laughs) For months, Greg and the rest of the team at BattleBots have been working behind the scenes to design a 2020 tournament that keeps the competitors and the film crew safe. On Monday, they announced that filming for the 2020 season will begin in October with a roster of 57 bots. We're looking forward to learning more about this new season, and so welcome to the show, Greg. Glad to be here. Nice to to hear from you guys. Absolutely. Thank you so much for jumping on with us last minute today. We really appreciate it. Uh, We saw the announcement, and the first thing we thought was, all right, let's see if we can get Greg on the show. (laughs) Um, all right, so the first question we had we have for you is uh, kind of catch us up. Last time we talked to you was February. The plan was to begin filming in early April with more than 80 teams from 12 countries. Obviously, a lot has changed since February in the world and BattleBots and everything. Um, so can you catch us up on the last five months? What's, what's been happening? Sure. You know, obviously, we, we got shut down um, for filming in April. Um, but we never stopped. The core production team met once a week, if not more than that, um, on contingency planning. You know, if a, if a window of opportunity arose, how could we pull the show off? Um, and then as, as the months grew on, we saw that, you know, big, big sports like the NBA were doing things without an audience. So we thought, okay, how do we do our show without an audience? You know, we're just thinking of every single contingency we could, we could come up with to try to pull off the show before the end of the year. Um, and the opportunity, you know, we've had, we had some opportunities popped up. Maybe we could do it in July. Then opportunities popped up. Maybe we could do it in August or September, but ultimately um, we got the green light uh, to do it. And we basically had everything ready to go and working on for months in cooperation with all the trade unions who work in the film industry mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the city of um, Long Beach health department. Um, we've been in constant communication with the bot builders, letting them know what the plans are. You've probably seen all these next week t-shirts that people have been putting on social media. <laughs> um, that's because we're, we keep saying, okay, now we can't do it this week. Maybe we can do it, you know, maybe next week, next month, you know, so it's been shifting quite a lot. So, um, thank you. Huge. Thank you to all the bot builders for their patience as we've worked through this. Um, but again, we just, we finally got the green light and we're able to do it in October and off we go execute. We've been planning, so now it's time to execute. That's fantastic. So I guess the biggest question we've been getting from our fans, from each other, is, um, and I know you can't answer all of these questions, but who's coming? Um, I know that international teams might be a bit of a difficulty, but can we expect any international presence at all? Yeah, there. Um, so the international travel restrictions are interesting so some countries don't have any so for instance uh spoiler alert new zealand can come as far as the as far as the the current situation is uh, new zealand can come and go into the united states and back home um i'm not sure if there's a quarantine when they get back home or not but basically endgame has agreed to come so Endgame, hopefully, fingers crossed, can make it. And Endgame is one of those international teams because New Zealand is open. Yep. Um, there's also Canada looks pretty good. There's some restrictions uh, in terms of quarantines that might be imposed. But a, a smattering of Canadian teams might be able to make it through. Um, the UK is still fairly strict, although there's signs of those restrictions opening up. In fact, I think the CDC um, recommended today that maybe 14-day quarantine could be reduced. Of course, that's for the United States. That has nothing to do with the UK. 
but maybe other countries will follow suit. Um, so that said, there, there are there's are a very small handful of UK teams who may be able to, you know, based on their workload, uh, work from home situations, family life, be able to endure a two week quarantine. Yeah. Um, and be able to get through. There's still other restrictions with visas and whatnot. We have a whole travel team working on it. Um, but the short answer is there will be an international presence. It will likely be much, much smaller than what the April show would have been. But there'll still be some international teams who we hope to get through. That's great. And then I guess the biggest question from there is what's going to be the biggest difference between this season and previous seasons? Obviously, the lack of an audience, you know, the show thrives on just having that live audience there and all that energy. I mean, we the producers feed off it, the bot builders feed off of it. It's just it's such a great thing to have a cheering crowd, you know, just all in all the little kids, you know, who are seeing this for their first time. It's the greatest thing ever. Um, and that's not going to be there, which is really unfortunate. Um, but we are looking at what every all the other sports have done for television, the NBA with their big screens. You know, some of the talk shows with cutting in different audiences, um, we will find a solution to have what we're calling reactors in the show, um, which would normally be an audience. But we'll have to find some other way to have reactors to a great big hit or a crazy judge's decision or something like that. Um, we are working on that problem daily um, and we'll come up with a, a cool creative solution, I'm sure. Um, but there will not be an audience at this October shoot. Um, second thing that's going to be massively different is the pit, which is pretty much like a giant, just sort of gathering of all the robot builders. It's going to be is, you know, and it, you've got literally 500 people in court, close proximity in the pit area, all sharing ideas and helping each other and working together. That unfortunately is also gone. Um, the pit is going to be massively spread out. We're going to use portions of this building that we've shot BattleBots in for the last three years that we've never used before. Um, we've probably only used like a, a fourth of the pit area, maybe a third of the pit area that we've used in previous seasons. We're going to use hundred percent of it now and spread teams way out. So teams are going to be their own little pods uh, that will work in socially distant fashions and anything that's communal, like, you know, welding and whatnot will have to be done much like you, when you go to the grocery store, uh, you stand in a, a very distant line. It's all, it's outside. So there's proper air. Um, circulation yeah. and only one team at a time can put their welding orders in and then get out and wait for their welding stuff to be done. So all this stuff has been enumerated in our COVID guide that we've worked on for months and we're still working on it. It's very much a work in progress because as you can imagine, things keep evolving and changing with COVID and recommendations um, get better and better and best practices improve and we just keep modifying the COVID guidelines. We'll probably be doing it up till the day of the shoot and maybe even during the shoot. Definitely during the shoot. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the great news for us is this building that we have in Long Beach is so giant and there's such massive amounts of airflow um, that it really helps us to mitigate the risk. You know, ultimately it's, this is still risky. Um, all of these productions are, are carry some risk with them. And a lot of the bot builders have chosen not to participate. And some of the crew has chosen not to participate. And that's completely understandable. Yep. And we completely respect everyone's decisions, whether they're in or not. Um, we've come up with a, a grouping of rules that will mitigate the risk as best we know how to right now. And we'll keep improving it. 
and um, bot builders will decide whether they want to come or not. And so far, almost nearly 60, we're actually at 59 bots now, have agreed to do it. Um, we'll have the city of Long Beach there uh, and their health department. We'll have a third-party independent COVID team who will be you know, maintaining the rules, watching for strict adherence to all the guidelines, um, helping teams with PPE and all that kind of stuff. And it's looking really good. Um, our, our guidebook was approved by all the unions, like the Directors Guild and the Writers Guild and the IATSE, um, of course, the network itself. So we've done, you know, a lot to to try to mitigate uh, the risk of COVID and and such such that we are moving forward with production. Hey, Greg, I, I have a, a question. It's actually from a listener, Matthew Cahoy, who wants to know, is there still going to be 50 hours of programming this year or is that going to be trimmed? Uh, or potentially even rolled into 2021? It remains to be seen. Um, we'll try to get as much program as we can. If we can make 50 is going to be tough because we don't have those 80 robots. So I can't, I can't say one way or the other what, what will hit on the hourly front. And there's many, many discussions to be had with the network on that in terms of maybe there's some other kind of content we could throw in there to make that 50 or something close to 50 work. But we'll get out as much content as we possibly can. And, you know, and fans should be... Um, I would ask fans politely to, to, you know, understand that this show is quite different than the normal BattleBots. So the energy of the audience uh, won't be there. So, you know, give us, uh, give us that um, considerations when you're watching it, you know, that we're, we're going through a ton of stuff to try to make it as entertaining as possible, but there's just some things we won't be able to deliver that, that you would normally expect. Well, you know, we've got a really, really great creative team with Chris and Aaron and everybody at the helm. Um, and they will come up with some fantastic ideas to keep everyone, keep the show lively. But, you know, it probably won't be until 2021 until we get the show back to its 100% awesomeness. Mm. I guess another question that a lot of folks have is the timing of this. Are we still going to have a full two weeks of filming? Yes, we are going to have a maybe like a week and three quarters of filming. Gotcha. Um, so we'll have a week of fight card days. And then we'll have the tournament um, beginning the, the second week. And, and teams will be able to get out as, uh, at the latest on a Thursday. So, again, we're trying to compress the schedule. The, the April schedule is actually more than two weeks. It was more like 15, 16 days, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. And this one is more like 12, 13 days. Interesting. So we have an interesting question from Michelle Huang, who asks um, – whether the timing of the 2021 uh, 2020 season will affect the timing of the 2021 season, uh, which was widely expected to start filming in the spring. If it was going to happen. Um, do you think that this October filming would push back a potential 2021 filming beyond April into maybe another month in that year? Uh, totally unknown at this point. Um, a lot depends on how well the show is received um and what discovery has uh in terms of their schedule for that time our normal time frame sure and so maybe they want us to just turn turn it back around really quickly and get back out there in april again especially if there's a a, a vaccine or or a, a viable treatment for covid that can get the audience back in confidently um or they may say guys let's push it to, to the summer now let's be a summer show who knows? At this point, we're moving forward with October and we will figure out 2021 on the heels of that based on data coming in from how the show does when it starts airing probably towards the end of the year. Gotcha. Um, 
so I know we have some, I guess the biggest question that I have personally is, you know, the top four from last year. Um, are you able to, were you able to secure the majority of them coming back, all of them coming back? Do you know if they'll be kind of participating and getting their second shot at the nut this year? Uh, part of that remains to be seen. I definitely have some of those top four. Uh, and, and we do not have other parts of that top four. Gosh. And obviously, you know, I mean, it's, uh, we don't have death roll because Australia is in such a good place with COVID that the death roll team felt like, I don't want to come to the United States when everything, when the numbers in Australia are doing so well, I don't yeah. want to take that risk. Um, in terms of the other three, uh, some we have, some we don't, but the ones we don't, we're still in communication with to try to figure it out. Gotcha. Interesting. You know, um, we're, we were, we're going to start revealing who's in to, we owe it to our Facebook supporters, the people who pay, you know, like five bucks a month to get that extra content. We haven't given them anything in months because we've just been shut down. Yep. So we owe it to them to, um, to show them who the roster is first. And then once they've had a good amount of exclusivity on that, we'll then show it to everyone else. We are huge shills to, for the BattleBot <laughs> supporters group. Just FYI, we tell uh, everybody every chance we get that that's where you need to go if you want to get the good information. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited about those reveals. Uh, do you have a message for the fans just kind of going forward about what they can expect for this season? You know, I know a lot of uh, the talk online has been like, is this going to be an asterisk season? Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you're concerned with? Or do you think that this is going to be just as legitimate a bubble championship as the NBA is putting on right now? Yeah, it's like that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a BattleBot season. And every season has their own little differences between other seasons. Um, you know, will it be the grandiose world championship we wanted it to be with so many international teams coming that would have come in April? No, it's not going to be that. It'll be far more of a domestic with a smattering of international. And so people can call that an asterisk season if they want to. From my standpoint, I just want to get the show done safely um, and work with the team um, creatively to make it as exciting as possible since there won't be an audience. And that's my goals. Um, the fans can then say whether they thought it was an asterisk season or not. But our goal will be to, to, to deliver the most exciting programming we can given the circumstances. So... Um... One of the things that I, I uh, begrudgingly admit on this show occasionally is I do uh, occasionally check in in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that they've been doing during this time period is getting other wrestlers out into the audience to react during um, during matches, during fights, um, which has made the wrestling a little bit more interesting just because there's some dynamics that get to happen. There's some like interactions between the quote unquote audience members and the people actually competing. Um, so just for my own edification, is there a possibility we could have perhaps the Galatelys in the audience yelling and screaming at uh, somebody else everything, <laughs> during a match? Everything that's, everything that's safe to do from a COVID perspective is on the table. Cool. Um, and like I said before, we've got a great creative team with Aaron and Chris searching for every kind of angle to to get reactors into the show and they've watched wrestling they've watched the nba they've watched the nhl they've watched all of it um and 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 they're continually trying to work on ways to get reactors and we even thought maybe we um you know put many many as many cameras as we can in the pit area 
and let the bot builders in the pit while they're working on their robots watch the fights and that they could be the reactors. Um, so that's one of the cooler ideas on the table. Um, you know, maybe Discovery even has a technological angle here where people could watch uh, the show in a certain way where they could be fed into the live broadcast. I don't even know if they have that technology, but something like that could be cool. That would be but fair. there's lots of ways to, uh, there's lots of ways to make it happen. And we're looking at all of them and there'll be something there. Cause you absolutely need reactors and what wrestling did was a great idea. And something like that could happen on BattleBots for sure. So I know you're very short on time. So I'd like to wrap this up just so you can get back to, you know, actually making the 2020 season happen, which we would all <laughs> really appreciate. Um, so before we let you go, um, how excited are you? I'm super excited. Um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's strange doing a show during a pandemic, but we have a lot of friends out there in the production world who've shot other shows. Um, and the, and the word on the street is basically if you have a solid guidebook and you follow the rules and you have a great testing regimen, that's one thing I didn't mention is we will have a very good testing regimen at the BattleBots. Rapid testing, continuous testing, um, just basically testing people, um, you know, maybe every two to three days to just keep those results coming in, coming in, coming in and making sure the field is safe. Um, so the word on the street is that if you follow that, that kind of regimen, you'll have a successful production. Um, if you screw around and you get cavalier, you won't. So we're going to have a strict adherence to these guidelines and, and, and go for it. But in terms of being able to do it this year, when literally, you know, as we got into, you know, just like two weeks ago, it was just like, we're not doing it. It's not going to happen. And, you know, so what am I going to do the rest of this year? So the fact that we got the chance to finally go for it is exciting. And it, the creative challenge of making it a fun, awesome show is going to be a great challenge to solve. And we're well on the way to doing that. Awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Um, anytime we get a chance to sit down and talk to you, we really appreciate it. And especially when you do it last minute, that's great. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys. I'm always happy to, to come and talk to you. After the break, we'll return with another panel discussion from Maker Fair Miami. We are so excited. Welcome and thank you for joining us wherever you are joining us from for this uh, virtual panel of female BattleBots captains. We're very excited. I hope you are too. My name is Lindsay Fair. And I'm Chris DeSico. Uh, and we are two of the hosts of the Behind the Bots podcast where we talk to builders, we learn about them, which is what we're going to do here today. Uh, so we are extremely excited to lead a conversation with Andrea Galately of Witch Doctor, Sarah Malian of Nelly the Elliebot, Jen Herkenroder of Hijinks, Julia Chernyshevich of Ferocity, and Lilith Specht of Sparkanok, each of whom are captains of their teams and have a lot of experience both in and out of the battle box to share with us tonight. Uh, so again, thank you to everybody, for all of our participants, and everyone dialing in today. Um, before we get started, as I mentioned, if you have any questions, you can drop them in the Q&A box, and we're going to add them to the script, add them to our questions as we go through. So we will do our best to get to all of them. We have a lot of questions, so bear with us. <laughs> um, and so to kick it off, before we get started, I just want to go around and have everybody introduce themselves, tell us what uh, team and what bot you're with, and uh, 
let's get it going. Yeah, maybe even tell us a little bit about your bat too, just to familiarize some of the, the listeners. Sure. I'll start. Go, go for it. Oh, well, let's do it. <laughs> I'm Lilith. Uh, I'm the team captain of Sporkinok. We're a new team this year, 11th hour add-in, thanks to COVID-19. Um, other than that, I'm the organizer of Robot Ruckus, and Sporkinok is a scorpion-tailed, scorpion-themed robot. <laughs> that is awesome. Sarah, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm the captain of Nelly the Ellie Bot on BattleBots, and I'm also one of the producers and hosts of the Beetleweight fighting robot show, BubbleBots. Julia, tell us about yourself. Sure. So my name is Julia, and I am a co-captain of Ferocity, um, and we're also a new robot this year. We are a um, horizontal uh, spinner, but with a twist, so we actually have a turret that rotates, and then the spinner's on the front. That's awesome. Jen, go for it. Um, Jen, I'm the captain of Hijinx, which is a new robot. Uh, before Hijinx, I helped build Scorpios for season four and Battle Royale with Cheese for season three. So that's my, my minor pedigree in the, in the sport. And uh, I'm not going to talk about the new robot because I promised that I wouldn't. All very intrigued. Uh, Andrea, round us out. I'm Andrea, I'm the team captain of Witch Doctor. Uh, when I'm not building robots, I build medical devices as a biomedical engineer, and I'm also the founder of Miami Makerspace. And if you're not familiar with Witch Doctor, it's a vertical spinner that has a skull-shaped disc and ribcage armor. So our team is all about uh, being very competitive, but looking good while we're doing it too. That is awesome. Um, so I'm really glad that you mentioned Makerspaces just there because one thing that almost all of you, maybe all of you have in common is that you have done a lot of work with your own local Makerspaces. And Makerspaces are really kind of the backbone of the Maker community. It's where people can gather and try things out and, and really get making. And so I would just love to, again, go around um, the, the table with you all and just hear a little bit about your experience with Makerspaces, what you've been up to there, and why you think they're so important to the community and, and how others can get involved. Um, so we'll do it backwards this time. Andrea, let's start with you. <laughs> sure. Um, I'd say I've been a maker my whole life. I used to paint and sculpt and do all sorts of, you know, crafts when I was younger. Um, but BattleBots really was my first introduction into making within a community. And that's really what hooked me on. And I've been looking for communities like that ever since then. So obviously BattleBots is a huge one that I'm a part of. Uh, but I do pop wheels racing like Jen also does. Um, I'm actually building out a camper van now, an ambulance. So that's been a whole new maker community that I'm starting to be a part of. Um, so really when we created our own makerspace down here in Miami in South Florida, it was about creating that community in our local area and getting these people together. Cause when you get these makers together, amazing things happen and it's so much more fun and so much more motivating than doing it on your own. So uh, the maker community has been a huge part of my life and, you know, maker spaces are just really the way to keep it going. So, you know, Lilith runs a maker space up in Orlando, which is not too far from us. So we uh, are involved with them also in that community. Awesome. Lilith, uh, do you want to, do you want to uh, piggy, back off that once i find the unmute button yes yeah so i am the current president of family lab in orlando uh technically longwood it's a suburb 
Uh, I've been on the board of directors there for two years. I've been a member for seven or eight now. And I'm also involved with MakerFX, which is the makerspace that is part of the MakerFX Foundation that puts on MakerFX Maker Fair Orlando. Um, and I just love it because being on the board lets me, in a kind of direct way, uh, give back to the community that has allowed me to do and learn so much. And the space in general is a great place for people to come to learn or make or whatever. We have a full machine shop, a laser cutter, a dark room, and some of the best people I've ever met, I've met through that. Jen, I know that you are involved in Baltimore with a few different ones. Yeah, um, well, it's funny. I'm, I'm actually coming to you live right now from 180 Studios in Santa Rosa, uh, which is a makerspace here for the community. I have a private shop in the back, which is in a separate building from the main. And um, unfortunately, due to COVID right now, the makerspace at large is not open. Uh, but there are a few of us who have rent on specific shop areas and as long as we are working safely and basically working alone, um, I've been allowed to continue working on the robot here and keep moving forward. Uh, so I've had this workshop in Santa Rosa at 180 Studios Makerspace for about a year and a half, and I, I love it. It's a great little shop, but you're right. Before that, um, I was in Baltimore. Uh, I was. I'll just go ahead and I like visuals. I was the president of Baltimore Hackerspace for a year. That was a fantastic experience. Um, I found Baltimore Hackerspace almost accidentally back in like 2012. And uh, my experience with that hackerspace was like tremendously helpful and useful because at that time I had zero dollars and very little access to tools. And it was a place where I could go on a Wednesday or a Saturday and borrow other people's tools. Essentially like now I have two welders all of my own and I have a welding fixture table. Like I've got all this cool stuff, but in 2012 I had nothing. I had like a car and, and some ambition uh, but in addition to Baltimore Hackerspace, uh, I was also an, an instructor. I was faculty at the Community College of Baltimore County, which house, houses rather FabLab Baltimore, which is the least expensive makerspace for you to join in all of Baltimore City or County. Uh, it's funded a lot by grants, and they use that to get better access for the community. There's also Baltimore Node, which is another member-run space. There's unallocated space, which is more like software-ish. Uh, and then there's the Baltimore Underground Science Space, which if you're into biohacking, that's their jam. And I, at one point, I was like, you know, it'd be great. Like, every, you've got bio, you've got software, we've got hardware, they have 3D printing. Let's, let's all just be friends. And there's a, a pretty healthy maker network in Baltimore, uh, including OpenWorks, which is now online and has a lot more new, interesting, big tools and also private shop spaces. So between all of these little nodes around Baltimore City and County, you can build almost anything you want in Baltimore right now. I, I do miss it. I am happy to be in California, but, uh, but I love that area as well. So it's been great. Awesome. Julia, how about, how about you? Yeah, uh, I've been involved with makerspaces pretty much wherever I've lived. Um, but after helping out a little bit with uh, Robot Ruckus at Maker Fair Orlando, I met enough people that are super involved in their makerspaces, and so I wanted to get more involved in mine. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm now on the board of directors for that. We're reopening. Um, and I guess I think my favorite part, I was just thinking about it, um, is just how you can bring people together from all these different disciplines and industries and then have them collaborate and help each other out 
And without a space like a makerspace, you just you wouldn't have that. Um, so I think that's really awesome and great for the community. And Sarah, do you have do you have makerspaces near you? Um, not near me at the moment. Um, I never had even heard of such a thing until I got involved with robots. Um, so my teammate, uh, Rob Kapinski, um, introduced me to one because he helped me build my first ever Beetleweight robot. And he took me to the one in Cambridge uh, where he lives. And I literally walked in and my eyes just boggled and I was like, this is cool because there's all this stuff <laughs> and like I had nothing at the time like I, I just about saved up enough money to get my first electric screwdriver and hex key set so you know compared to what I had it was like whoa so I, I totally appreciate the value of them but unfortunately I don't really live near to one to really take advantage of it at the moment but they do exist here right <laughs> Uh, that actually, I think, segues nicely into a question that a fan just asked in our Q&A, uh, and they wanted to know if they don't have any makerspaces in their area, do you have any suggestions on how they can still get involved in the, in the maker movement? Who's that directed to? Anyone, anyone who wants to chime in? Well, uh, so Instructables is still up and running, and there, the, the sheer variety of different kinds of projects that have tutorials on Instructables is really broad. And not all projects require a full metal and machine shop to get started. Sometimes all you need is a desktop and maybe some like hand tools, like some Allen wrenches and a soldering iron. And you can do things like um, programmable LEDs or like really small robots. Uh, it, it actually doesn't take a lot of money to get started. I started with junk. I started with RC trash. like broken RC trucks and things that like broken power wheels that people threw away and we'd go and collect from Goodwill. Uh, I, I don't think you need a lot of money to get started if you can be a little ingenious. All you really need is a desktop that is, you know, a, a space that you don't also eat on and then you can do small projects really easily. Yeah, I think now it's, it's even if you don't have that community locally where you can physically drive to a place, um, if there's a project you want to do, just do it and share it online. You know, that maker community is so easy to find now. Um, just on this panel, we have people from all over the world. So um, even if you can't find that community locally, I think having that community online is super valuable. I'd add that it starts with a community. Like, just start getting together on a regular basis with people of like mind and like interests. That's how Famalab started. It started in a storage shed with just people with the same interests interested in hacking. And it grew from there to where it's currently at with 120 members and 4,000 or whatever, however many square feet, a lot. That's a really good point. Baltimore Hackerspace started with, I think, 10 people that would hang out in one guy's garage. And then eventually we're like, well, if we all paid $50 a month, we could rent a space and plant these tools, then we'd all have access instead of asking Paul if he's home that night. So uh, there are definitely ways to grow it from a very small beginning. I think that's a, that's really awesome advice and something that we can all do, especially now when a lot of us are spending more time at home. You know, there are things that we can do here even without special tools. So uh, that's that's really awesome advice. Um, all right, so we're going to switch on over now, and I'm going to get into questions for all of you individually. We're going to start off with Andrea. Um, so we, we actually have a question that was sent in from the Whova app. 
It's new to me. New to me. Um, so what inspired you to go into biomedical engineering and what elements of your experience in that field helped you in your BattleBots experience? So a lot of people think you have to be an engineer to build robots. Um, that's not true at all. And for me, it was actually the opposite. I started building robots when I was 14. Um, and I decided to study engineering because building robots was so much fun that I wanted to do it for the rest of my life. So what do I need to study to just keep building robots? And engineering seemed to be that answer. And, you know, obviously being able to apply those skills to, to helping people led me to biomedical engineering. Um, which, you know, a lot of people think that biomedical engineering sounds so different from BattleBots, but in reality, in BattleBots, we learn how to make things that don't break, right? The whole goal is to survive the match, more so than destroying the other robot. It's to not get destroyed yourself. And when you're designing medical devices, you have to design things that don't break. It's unacceptable to design an implant that's going to break in someone's body because it has huge, huge ramifications. So how do we design things that don't break? We break them and find out where they break and how they break and make them better. So to me, it was the closest thing to BattleBots that I could find. Uh, and that's how I ended up uh, doing medical devices. So uh, speaking of not breaking, we have a question from a fan named Andrew and he wants to know, how did you come back to life in your match against death roll? Yeah, we've gotten that question a lot. So. There, um, I like to say that we're always one loose wire away from losing. I think that's true to everybody. Um, these robots work against all odds. Uh, no machine is designed to be thrown 20 feet in the air and land and keep going for another three minutes. Um, so there's a lot of times you get intermittent problems. Uh, and we've, we've learned that enough to know that we should never give up in a match. And you actually see some of the newer builders, even on the TV show, the robot stops working and they take their hands off the control and they're done. Um, and in that match, you know, Mike, who's driving the robot and I'm doing the weapon, neither of us, you know, spun down or looked away or, you know, we kept uh, driving in that match as if the robot was going to start working and we got lucky enough that it did. Uh, we were moving the self-writer to try to jiggle the robot to see if we were stuck on the floor or something. Um, but who knows, was it a loose wire? Were we stuck on the floor? You know, we're 30 feet away from the robot at that point. It's hard to know for sure. We didn't find any obvious issue. The robot was working perfectly after. So. Uh, it could have been a million things, and that's just how the sport goes. All right. So uh, I think we can all agree that that match and that whole season in 2019 was so fun to watch, especially with Witch Doctor. What a powerhouse and just so, so joyful to watch. Um, so obviously that makes us all think, what can we expect with 2020 Witch Doctor? I'm glad you phrased the question that way because being joyful to watch is exactly what we're going after. Um, there are so many teams that are just in it to win it. And obviously it's, it's an international competition. It's the highest level in our sport. You know, it's the Olympic of combat robotics. So we're absolutely in it to win it. But, you know, I'm glad that it shows through that we're also having a blast living out our wildest dreams uh, while we're doing it. So does that mean no hints as uh, as well? No, no, I can. I'm, I'm not being secretive like hijinks. <laughs> Which doctor is going to look similar uh, visually? You know, a lot of the change is going to happen inside. Um, we improve the robot in between seasons, obviously, but it's really difficult to test a robot of this scale safely. So a lot of the time, you see kind of growing pains in the first few matches, and that was absolutely the case for us last year. Um, there was smoke in our first match, there was smoke in our second match, up until the top 16 when we stopped smoking. And every, between every single match, we made changes to try to stop that. 
and to prevent things that were about to go wrong that we caught that we caught before it went wrong. So basically we were iterating every time. And if you take a look at our robot, as we progress, you'll see that the rib cage armor on our robot gets smaller and smaller as more matches go on. And that's because we're making changes that require additional weight. And the easiest way for, place for us to cut weight is from the rib cage armor. Unless of course we're fighting Nelly where we would definitely need top armor. So we would uh, definitely use the, the heavier top ribs for that. But um, so a lot of the changes that we've done now is to incorporate those changes that we made on the fly from the ground up. So that required a whole frame redesign. Um, hopefully we're gonna see a witch doctor that's more reliable from the start that doesn't have those growing pains. And then we're making improvements like making our self-writer more effective. We had a few times where it took us a couple tries to self-write and that's enough time for a bite force to get in there and get another hit. Um, as we made those changes, we had to sacrifice our flamethrower because we no longer had weight for it. So you only saw that in one match. So we are not giving up on the flamethrower, even though a lot of fans want us to because it does add some extra risk, but uh, our team's all about the show. So we're gonna keep that flamethrower and we have enough weight for it now because we've designed other things into the system. So we're trying very carefully to make the robot better without ruining the things that made it work really well because it took us four years to get to the point where we had a robot that was working well enough to make it to the final. So we don't wanna mess that up. Um, but you have to get better every year because everybody else is getting better every year. So if we showed up with the same robot, we'd already be behind. Well, that's, uh, that's very exciting to hear. I know we're all excited to, to see it happen when it does. Um, so some of us have used this COVID quarantine time to watch a lot of Netflix. Some of us are learning how to make sourdough. Instead, you have just gone wild making all kinds of amazing educational content on your YouTube page, on your Facebook. Uh, and it's, it's been so great for me to watch. And I know a lot of people who are also learning about, uh, you know, robotics and engineering. So can you tell us a little, little bit about the projects that you've been working on? Yeah, I'd love to. So we do a lot of educational content year round, but most of it is in person at our makerspace. We run classes, we host events. Uh, we're actually, we're hosting a Robot Riot tournament here at Maker Fair Miami. We had almost 50 robots registered, so obviously we had to postpone that. So with COVID, it was just a perfect excuse to, you know, we're not spending time doing that, so let's take the time to make all of that content virtual um, and really have access to more people, which has been on our to-do list forever, but this was just a great motivator to get it done. Um, so we started the Witch Doctor Junior video series, which is basically an online BattleBots class. So for the past three years, we've been teaching BattleBots classes to kids and adults of all ages. Um, and then we host a tournament where they can go compete for the first time. So we've taken what we've learned over those three years and put it kind of in a self-contained, uh, it's gonna be a 10 episode series for now that are gonna take you all the way to being able to add a weapon to your robot. Uh, depending on how it goes and how well received it is, we might do an advanced series for, um, you know, this, this part is based on a kit so the advanced series might be based on building your own robot from scratch and have a little bit more machining and kind of more complex things like that. So that's been a lot of fun. We have the first five episodes posted. So it's already all the way up to finishing your robot. So the second half of the series is gonna be about competing and adding a weapon. Um, some other things we did, we published Witch Doctor Magazine, which was really a lot of fun because I got to reach out to BattleBots fans who submitted articles for us to, um, Ben, which was a BattleBots fan who actually animated the bird hat that Mike wears. Uh, we got behind the scenes stories from a lot of our teammates. Uh, so the magazine is free now. It's a digital edition on our website. 
Um, and yeah, we're just, you know, we spent a lot of time building the robot and all of a sudden that stopped because we were supposed to film in April, which was just at the start of this. So we found ourselves with a lot of unused energy uh, that we had reserved for BattleBot. So we're trying to make it productive and, and yeah, put a lot of content out there. Uh, that's fantastic. I'll follow up with one last question for you. Uh, BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr uh, wants to know what made you want to write B is for BattleBots? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, and then also where can folks purchase one if they wanted to? <laughs> yeah, B is for BattleBots is the official BattleBots alphabet book. So it's a kid's book that takes you through uh, the entire alphabet, but all the letters aren't for the names of robots, they're for motors and electronics and pneumatics and kind of different aspects so that kids could learn a little bit more about robots. Um, and I actually got the idea for the book at BattleBots. We were at a meet and greet because we usually come out after the matches and meet the audience as much as we can. And you just see all these little kids that are absolutely lit up. I mean, you could tell their life is never going to be the same after seeing live combat robot that day. Um, but then they go home and there's really no way for them to, to channel that, uh, that motivation or that new passion. So especially for really young kids that you don't really want to, you know, be using screwdrivers and sharp tools yet. Um, so the book was a way to get those kids thinking about all these different elements, get them introduced. Um, and, you know, maybe because they read this book, they'll be a little bit more confident when they join their robotics class, uh, you know, in elementary school. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I collaborated with an illustrator in the UK who was actually, uh, he did a bunch of BattleBots fan art on Instagram and I really admired his work. So that was really fun because he was just as excited about the book as I was. So we really bounced off each other and, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I just started selling autograph copies of the book because I was just doing autographs at Maker Fairs and stuff across the country. And obviously it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, so if you go on our website, teamwitchdoctor.com, you can actually buy autograph copies for the same price as they are on Amazon or the BattleBot store. Um, and that's what's keeping us running the Witch Doctor classes and our makerspace during this time. So if you buy a book, it really, really helps us out with the content that we're putting out. That's awesome. Thank you so much for everything you do for the, for the community. And check out BS for Battle Bus. Yes. <laughs> it really helped me a lot. I was struggling with several letters, but I really got the down pat now. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna move over to, uh, to Sarah. Sarah, um, our, our Renaissance woman here, you, are, you're, you do it all. You, um, you're the captain of Nelly. You're the queen of shunt posting. You're a, a host of the shunt cast. You're a producer on Bugglebots. We we got a lot to get into and not a lot of time. So can you can you start by telling us a little bit about 2020 Nelly and what we could expect from Nelly this season? Um, so the design is a little bit different. We are the sort of biggest and most obvious notable difference from last year is the big old lip on the wedge because we learned that lesson um hard <laughs> there, there, there were bits everywhere um so so that's hopefully to protect against the likes of horizontal spinners um we've upgraded the drive as well um to mag motors thanks will my sponsor uh, and um but other than that um i can't really tell you too much because COVID's happened and the trouble is I've had a lot of time sat at home on my own thinking and it's like well I've got all this time now I could make it even better but you'll have to wait and see I'm saying no more on that 
too, there's too many secrets this season. I, I can't <laughs> handle it. But um, I have a, so I have another question from uh, BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. And, uh, and Mary really. says, Hi, Mary. Uh, uh, Nelly has quickly stolen our hearts uh, of all BattleBots viewers. Where did the idea for, for Nelly come from? And how <laughs> long was your journey from fan to Roboteer? Um, okay, so it started with, uh, oh God, it was years ago. I was watching um, kids TV with my little boy. You know, it was a rainy day and it was just one of those days we've got kids TV on all day for the sake of your sanity. And I sort of, I was zoned out to it most of the time as, as any good parent is. But then there was this new program, so it got my attention. Oh, this is new. And, and so it's called Patchwork Pals on the British children's TV channel, CBeebies. And um, the premise of this show is that there's these lovely little patchwork animals and they get into a little problem and then one of the other patchwork pals helps them. And there was this episode where a chicken had an egg stuck in a place where chickens would not like to get eggs stuck. And the animal that assisted it was an elephant and it used its trunk. This was kids TV. I'm not kidding. And I was, I was like, is that allowed? <laughs> like, wow. And so I posted on Facebook and a couple of my Roboteer friends, most notably um, Sam Price from uh, Maximum Ogre Drive on Bugglebots. Um, so, uh, he's a parent as well and he saw it. And I was like, were you traumatized by this, Sam? And he said, yes. So I said, well, excellent. I'm now going to build an elephant robot to continue traumatizing you for the rest of your life. <laughs> then I needed a name for an elephant robot and the first thing that came to my head was the children's song uh, Nelly the Elephant and so I thought Nelly the Ellie bot yeah okay I'm gonna build an elephant and the very very early original design of it was it was going to be a lifter um, then I decided bonking sounded much more fun so actually it's going to be an axe. And then, then I designed the mace and so it became a hammer rather than an axe. But why not? It's for robotic glory. Um, from, uh, from getting into the community, uh, so it was in, oh goodness, 2016 I got in. Um, it was the announcement of the reboot of Robot Wars that alerted me to the live community because I'd, I'd watched classic Robot Wars on the TV as a kid but had no idea there was a live scene at all. Like once it went off the telly that was it, forgot about it. Um, but then the reboot happened and I discovered the online community and, and, and the smaller robots as well. Oh this might be accessible after all actually and then I made friends with people and they helped me build robots and then I just stuck around, really. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> um, as the queen of shunt posting, this is, a, this is a big one. What is your favorite meme of all time? Oh, you, you slightly pre-warned me about this one and I've been racking my brains. And so I've come up with an answer. I love so many of them that I couldn't possibly pick a favorite, but I'll tell you which one it isn't. And that's when Bugglebots. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> um, so that, that's actually a great segue. Uh, we at Behind the Bots had just set a when, when Bugglebots uh, meme. 
in uh, in part of the uh, the third anniversary celebration of shunt posting. Can you tell us a bit about the community and and what you love so much about it? Um, it's where you come in the bot community if you're having a bad day. Uh, that's what it was for me. It, it started out uh, in 2017 when I was at a really crap time of my life. And I just found myself drawn to this silly group every day because it was like, it was two things I loved. It was dumb memes and robots. So, like combined two things I loved so brilliantly together. And yeah, just sort of became a, a source of distraction and humor and comfort and I've made some amazing friends and it's gotten people building who previously never thought they'd build before. It's been a sort of um, definitely a stepping stone for some people, which is odd, you know, who thought a, a meme group would get you involved in robots. Um, but there we go. It's done stranger things. Um, you, you've seen some of the pictures of Will Bales. I won't go into that too much more because this is a family show. Um, but, um, oh, yeah, so it's our, it's our third birthday today. Three years of annoying the heck out of Roboteers with our sense of humour, if you can call it that. But, so, um, so if you're bored after this panel and, and want something to do and need something to laugh at, go on the Facebook group Robot Wars Shunt Posting and go and see our big birthday video. There are some wonderful uh, messages of happy birthday from Roboteers, including Jen. Thanks, Jen. Uh, and Will Bales. And, and you get to see Scorpio destroying something. I'll leave it at that. Spoilers. So, Sarah, we can't move on without talking about BuggleBots. Uh, this year, BuggleBots released uh, its second season, much for uh, fans' delight. Uh, for those of uh, those of us out there who don't know uh, what is BuggleBots? Can you give us a description of what it is and, and, and tell, tell them all where they can tune in for, for an episode? Okay, so uh, BuggleBots is a Beetleweight robot fighting competition, which in the UK is 1.5 kilogram weight class. Um, it was, uh, we conjured it up because Robot Wars got cancelled again. And we were sort of like, we don't want robot fighting to end on, on the screen in the community in the UK. But at the same time, how can three people afford a heavyweight arena between us? No, we can't. So, okay, let's, let's think of something else. So we thought, well, Beatles, because these days Beatles really pack a punch. And okay, it's, you know, it's nowhere near on the same scale as the heavyweights, but with the right camera angles, it looks fantastic. And some of these Beatles are amazing. And so it's really, the other thing I like about it most is because it's an event for the community, by the community. You know, none of the people involved are big production companies. Like pretty much everyone involved in it is a roboteer or is the friend of a roboteer who knew how to operate a camera. Um, and like, and, and roboteers who weren't as roboteers, like for example, um, Jerome Lievelu, uh on the first series, I mean, he's a long-standing roboteer and he came and did a load of our camera work and brought all his own equipment to help us out. And it was amazing. And then on the other hand, on season two, he came and competed, which was awesome. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a robot fighting show, but much smaller and with no big massive production companies it's just it's just us guys and our love 
It's a lot, a lot of fun to watch. Um, we're going to move on now to Jen. So Jen, you are a maker through and through. You've worked on just about everything from battle bots to puppets to theater sets, to drones, go-karts. That's just part of it. Um, but this year you are joining the show as the captain of the mysterious bot hijinks. One of the bots that if anybody listens to the podcast knows I am very excited to learn more about and I'm waiting not so patiently. Um, so I know you want to keep hijinks mysterious. So I'm not going to ask you too many specific questions about it. Um, but we do have a question from B is for BattleBots illustrator Caleb Kempson, who asks, when will we get our first glimpse of the elusive hijinks? And is it just as awesome as everybody thinks it is? So I've, we have a plan. And um, as, as everyone is aware, uh, COVID has caused a delay in the BattleBots season. It's been pushed back a few times. Uh, there is a chance that if production can do things safely and cleanly and can, you know, get all the logistics down and it's an additional massive logistics challenge to try to do uh, combat robots in close quarters during a global pandemic. We are still preparing the robot as if we're expecting any day now we're gonna get the call. Like we're still working on the robot, improving things with the expectation that any day now we're gonna get a green light and we're gonna be like, okay, now put it on the truck, go, go, go. So um, what I would like to do in the, in the event that BattleBots is kicked even forward in the future and we have to wait a year, I don't, uh, I don't want to imagine a reality in which there's no more BattleBots because that, just, that would take my sleep away from me. It would be very upsetting. So in my mind, BattleBots is always going to be real and it's always going to be just around the corner or maybe next year. Uh, in, in the event that we're not able to do BattleBots this year, but we have to wait until next year or wait for a vaccine or whatever logistic thing needs to happen, uh, there are some folks from uh, who are formerly at Make Magazine that I've talked to about putting together kind of a an intro video, if you will. And the team, uh, Lilith was on our team for the first first few months of like the year, so she knows what was going on, and she's being so good about not giving up all the game. So thank you for that. But what I would really like to do is if, if we have to wait a long, long time, um, I want to do like one of those like sci-fi camera swoops in, you know, slow-mo videos around, splice in some of the video that we took while we were building it, um, include the names of the team because they've done a really, a really good job. They've done a lot of really hard work. It, it's all volunteer. No one's getting paid for the work that they do. And uh, we've got teammates, Maddie's in New Jersey, uh, Michael's in Chicago, um, some folks like Chesley are in South Bay, Orion is in San Leandro. We've all had to work alone for the most part and then, and then send parts here for assembly. Um, it's really hard to continue working on something when you don't get to see it come to fruition or when you don't get to have it in your hands. So I really want to do like a big snazzy reveal video and then have like the credits be all the, the names of the team members uh, and all the people who have helped us out and sponsored us like P3D Creations, Van Bever Brothers. Uh, we've got mm, batteries from Gen Zace. We've got, uh, we have a lot of people who have put faith and trust in us with the expectation that we would show them something really cool. 
uh, I refuse to let them down. It's going to happen. We just don't know when. So I'm waiting to hear from BattleBots. And when we hear from BattleBots, we'll make a decision about when and where to reveal the robot. As long as there's a BattleBots in the future, ideally, just keep teasing you until we actually get there and then you know, give some Rackers $10 and have them rip the veil off and do the big announcement. Because like, that is my dream. But I, I understand as well, <laughs> sometimes you wait too long for something and it's just like, just frustrating. So there will be satisfaction, I promise. You will never not see what the robot is. Uh, so let's just cross our fingers and, and hope that we can do BattleBots quickly and safely. Well, I know that we all, as much as we like to, you know, jokingly complain, we're all very excited to see it and we're happy to wait as long as we need to. Uh, and the, wor the wait is going to be worth it. I know that. Um, but so since we can't ask anything about the bot per se, I would like to ask uh, when, when we go into the next season, are there any bots in particular that you would like to, to, to battle? Oh, gosh. So in, in a moment of what I'm just going to go with, like, pure serendipity, after, after last season um, on Scorpios, we had a, a big team meeting. It's kind of like a redux, a debriefing on the season. And we talked about things that we thought worked really well, things that didn't maybe work as well, things that we could improve, and, and then what the future of the robot might look like. And uh, having, have, you know, observed a variety of weight classes and having, for the the small robots that I build are, are sometimes just not meant to be competitive. They're sometimes just meant to be fun for me because I, I like fun things, but on the larger scale, when it comes to a competition like battle bus, uh, I agree completely with Andrea and uh, you want to win. Yes. But you want to look cool and have fun doing it. Yes. It's, it has to be entertaining and you have to love it because it's so much work and it's so, uh, difficult that if you don't love it and you're not enjoying it, you're just hurting yourself. So at the end of season four, we sat down and said, well, okay, what are the improvements we can make to Scorpios that would make it a top 16 robot? Like, how do we get, because it was close. It was a top 24 robot and it was just like, it was so tantalizingly close. Like I could taste, mm, like I could, I mean, it tastes a lot like a lipo fire, but I could taste victory. It was so close. But, you know, two, two vertical spinners back-to-back -back did enough damage on drive that, you know, the little robot was hobbling and got counted out. Uh, what could we do to take out the apex, the current apex? What, what is the most successful robot class right now? And if you look at the top four, you've got Bite Force and you've got Death Roll and you've got Witch Doctor and like, hmm. Hypershock, there's a lot of really effective, really well-driven four-wheel drive vertical spinners, and they're fun to watch. Not everyone can build a four-wheel drive vertical spinner, because then it would just be vertical spinner bots and not battle bots. So the challenge is not to build the, the most premium iteration of this one kind of robot. The challenge is, well, what can I do that will break vertical spinners? If that, if the whole goal, I'm sorry, Andrea, please forgive me. If the whole goal is to just break vertical spinners, what is the robot that will do that? That is the robot that I want to build. And, uh, and Orion, we were sitting in, uh, in Chewie's garage 
and I was like, I want to build a robot that looks like this, and it does this, and I think this would be really great. And he goes, oh, I designed one of those already. And he opens his laptop, and there's like, there's a folder that has 300 robot designs he hasn't made yet in it, I think, possibly more. Orion has a, a catalog library of like an almost infinite number of robot designs that he's just like, oh yeah, I'd like to build one of those too. And I looked at him like, that's, huh, okay, let's build that. Um, and we were just gonna make it the, the next Scorpios. We were just gonna theme it like Scorpios and keep the color scheme. Uh, but BattleBots thought that mm, the changes that we're making were different enough that Scorpios should stay its own thing. It should stay a top attack robot. And we're like, you know, all right, if, if that's what you want, that's what you get. And we, we sat down and sort of, we had 48 hours, like, okay, if we could retheme the robot, what's it going to be? And we wound up settling on, a, I don't know if you can see this, but I have a little owl pin. We wound up settling on an owl and it went uh, as a theme and it, wound up being a fun crossover with like Athena and Minerva and like the goddess of strategic combat. Like, okay, yeah, maybe this is, yeah, this is all going in the right direction. So much like the, the hypershock cat and the witch doctor, like we got, we got a theme and we got a idea and we got a design and we got everything in line. Let's do it. Um, now here we are. I have, I have a complete robot and then I have a, all the parts literally right here. I know it's tantalizing, like they're actually 12 inches off camera right now on the shelf. I have all the parts for a second robot. What we want to finish doing is uh, now that the first robot is done, we want to find a, a safe way to test it and we want to perfect it. And then if there's anything that we want to edit or change or modify, then we have robot two basically in parts ready to go. And uh, that's where we're at right now. It's like robot one is assembled and we are preparing for safe testing. And then after that, we're going to look at what we can do with robot two and the same iteration. Can we have the time? Like, why not? Uh, that is very exciting. And it is uh, so tantalizing that it is so close to the camera and we can't see it. But um, I will show you one part and I won't tell Ooh. you what it's for. How about that? Okay. All right. I'll take it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Miami Maker Fair exclusive. Whoa. All right. That was a brief glimpse. I hope that you all uh, took I, a photo. <laughs> I think I was part of a panini press. <laughs> uh, um, so thank you so much, Jen. In the interest of time, I'm going to move on. Let's go on over to Julia. But we are so, so, so pumped. Thank you for sharing everything that you did about hijinks. And we can't wait to see it. So, um, Julia, you have competed on BattleBots before. You were the captain of Team A's Bucktooth Burl in 2016, uh, Red Devil in 2018, and you were a member of uh, Team 42's Marvin last year. So you are not a stranger to BattleBots, but this is the first year for Ferocity. So we'd love to hear a little bit about what Ferocity is and uh, what, what does it look like? Sure. Um... So Ferocity is uh, a brand new robot and it's got a drive base that consists of eight um, drive wheels. And so we're actually using DeWalt um, drill motors to power those. And on top of that, we have a rotating turret. And on the front of that, there's a spinning horizontal blade. Um, and our, our thought process was somewhat similar to Jen's at the start of like, you know, there's so many four wheel drive vertical spinners. We want to be something different. Um, but then we went down the route of, okay, how do we just be like some creative, cool robot that 
um, perhaps could be made into a toy or, you know, it's just exciting for people to watch. They're like, hey, let's, let's watch this thing destroy things. Um, and then the other um, kind of driving uh, mentality behind the design is we want to make sure that it's repairable because really like BattleBots is one in the pits. It's can you repair it? You're like Andrea, Andrea said, it's um, you're one loose wire away from losing and having a dysfunctional robot. So it's okay, let's make sure we're using parts and we're using processes that um, would allow us to build a, you know, a third, we're building two bots, but a third bot if we need it um, when we are down in, in LA. So yeah, that's, that's mostly it. Um, we've got some lovely sponsors, but most of the fab is being done uh, in Antoine, my co-captain's garage. Um, but we've sort of been on pause with COVID, unfortunately. Yeah, it seems like some teams either COVID has been giving them more time to work on their bots or it's been giving them just less access to the bot. So um, sorry to hear that, but very, um, very exciting that you'll ha you might have three uh, versions to bring that will make it very, uh, very good to, to, you know, when you get some destruction there. Um, so we have a question, another question from Mary Catherine Carr, who wants to know, what is your inspiration behind Ferocity? And since what I've seen of Ferocity has a dragon motif, what would make up your treasure hoard if you could choose? Uh, so what would uh, Ferocity's hoard be aside from wind tokens? Aside from wind tokens, yeah. Um, the inspiration behind Ferocity, uh, we kind of liked the, the different themes that a lot of bots had. I'm not actually sure how we ended up on a dragon. Um, I don't know, yeah, bad memory. Uh, but as far as what we'd like to hoard, um, wind tokens would be lovely, but also there's this tradition in BattleBots that when you're, when you destroy someone else's robot or you get destroyed, but basically after a match, you'll get a piece of their robots and usually like autograph where you've done some damage. Um, so I think that would be something really fun to hoard because, um, we're not coming into this thinking we're going to be like the number one BattleBots. It'd be great. Um, but really it's just like a new creative design and any sort of fun action that we can provide and like, you know, just have some really fun battle moments um, that are memorable and exciting. Uh, and those are the little tokens you have to keep from those. So, yeah. That is awesome. And so uh, you've also done a ton of work with the first Lego League. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, and then in your experience, do you have any advice for kids who are interested in learning more about robotics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with first Lego League, uh, I never got to do it as a child. I'm not sure if it was around or just maybe not as popular. Um, but first robotics FRC was a big kind of shaping part of my life that encouraged me to go into engineering. Um, and so I've, I've been involved as a judge, as a mentor, as a um, basically the different roles, robot inspector, whatever they have, I've done it. Um, and so FLL is wonderful because it really gets kids when they're young um, and gets them making. Uh, and I think if you get them making at that like young age, they'll kind of keep progressing and doing it in all parts of their lives. Um, and so any advice? Uh, yeah, I'd say if you're looking into getting combat, like into combat robotics, grab whatever tools and materials you're comfortable with. Um, you know, whether that's like cardboard and glue sticks or Lego, maybe it's 3D printing and just build your first prototype from there. Um, a lot of us seem to be trying to get like a perfect robot right from the get go. But there's, I think it was Voltaire's, like, the best is the enemy of the good. Um, and in reality, no plan will survive its first encounter with reality. So, you know, we might be, we have a tendency to, like, avoid criticism, judgment, and that just gets in the way of progress. It's just, 
try something, keep iterating, and even if you're not the expert at the start, as you keep iterating on your bot, eventually you'll be, have a really stellar robot um, and you can compete with that. So, yeah. Awesome. And real quick, we have a question from Andrew who wants to know, do you have a mini bot? No, we do not have a mini bot. <laughs> um, with, with so many moving parts, you're thinking like eight motors just in the drive base. We've got multiple motors powering both the turrets and then we have, you know, for the, the actual weapon, um, we don't have enough weight. The intent was actually to have uh, a walking robot, but um, the details of that BattleBots and us could not agree on. And so we had to take a design that was supposed to be 500 pounds and scale that down to 250. So it's challenge enough as it is, um, no weight for Minibot. That makes sense. <laughs> Okay, uh, we're gonna move over to Lilith. Lilith, how you doing? I'm doing good. <laughs> Ready with her spork. <laughs> Ready with spork and Anne. <laughs> Lilith, you're you're an integral member of the maker community in Orlando and a driving force behind the Orlando Maker Fair and the uh, the heavyweight competition there, Robot Ruckus. Uh, Luke Lindsay and I had a chance to attend Robot the last Robot Ruckus, and I think so it was fun. the most fun we've ever had. It was so so cool. Highly recommend anyone go check that out uh, the next time that there is one. Uh, but this year you're competing uh, on BattleBots as a rookie, which is very, very exciting. And you're competing with Sporkanok. Can you, can you tell us what we should be expecting from Sporkanok? Sure. Yeah, I have it mostly done. Um, so I got tired of watching all the competitors from Robot Ruckus go on to BattleBots and none of them inviting me. Not salty at all. So I finally got a robot accepted for BattleBots. Um, and Sporknox started as a one pound and uh, it's always been a hammer bot of some kind. So I wanted to build a hammer bot, but I didn't want to do just any hammer bot. And also I didn't feel like buying a uh, ETAC or some high, high dollar, high weight, high amperage motor. So I was like, how can I get around that? So I thought of the idea of a flywheel-powered hammer. So Sporknox's main weapon, while it is a hammer, uh, is powered by a flywheel. Somehow. That's, that's still to be fully worked out all the kinks, but I've stolen a design from Charles Guan called the Wubba Box, which is a compound planetary gearbox where you can very smoothly transition power into the weapon. Um, so this is a this is a very important question. Uh, you know, as as a member of the trans community, uh, what do you hope to show others in the community by competing in BattleBots? So one of the most one of the driving things for me was to give the trans community a icon, like someone to look up to. Uh, because it's honestly woefully lacking. Uh, I was fortunate enough at Famalab to have one when I started my transition. And besides just a general icon, I want to show people that you can still do the things you did before you transitioned, after you transitioned. I've been doing combat robots since I was a little boy. <laughs> um, and it, it's you, you, your identity while it is a defining factor for you, it doesn't define what you can do. Like you can still do all this. You can be a girl, like if, if you feel like you're, you're a girl 
and you were meant to be a girl, you can be a girl and you can do robots or whatever. And also like, other than that, I'm not an engineer. Uh, I have zero college experience. So I'm, I want to be that representative of, I, I'm not an engineer. I'm a member of a hacker space that started building things in the garage and is still technically kind of building things in a garage. So anybody can do this sport. That is so cool. Uh, I have a question here from Lindsay Urko who uh, asks, do you have a finned, furred, or scaled friend who helps you unwind at home? If you do, what's their name? So I have a lovely cat called Gryffindor. Uh, I adopted him when I moved to Orlando eight or seven years ago. Um, it was just his birthday at the end of July. Uh, so he is the second love of my life after my girlfriend. And then on top of that, I adopted a pitcher plant from one of the previous tenants where I live, uh, which is nice because with both a cat and a pitcher plant are two very uh, low, low maintenance pets. Just kind of with the pitcher plant, you just leave it outside and eats all the bugs. We need one of those. Yeah. <laughs> We, we, only, we only adopt the most high-maintenance pets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so I have a, a three-part question here from uh, BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. Um, and here we go. Why are sporks not used more often when they're clearly the superior utensil? Part two. Are Sporkanok and Scorpios sisters or mortal enemies? Part three. What's your favorite thing to eat with a spork? <laughs> Sporks uh, should be used more often because like, especially for potatoes and things that are like kind of rough or uh, fried rice, like you can stab things and then eat them and still get like a good bit of rice, a good bit of the potato. Uh, it also has somewhat of a cutting edge. Um, I don't know why they're not used more often because people suck. Uh, the second one, Scorpios. To be completely honest, I completely forgot Scorpios was a scorpion-themed robot when I was designing the new Sporkinok. And then I realized it, and I'm like, eh, I'll decide that later if they're enemies or friends. I guess it depends on who wins the fight. If they fight, because I think Sporkinok might lose. <laughs> um, and then favorite thing to eat with a spork? Mashed potatoes. And it's funny that... that uh, something I found out recently, um, sporks in one part of the internet are a trans icon because they're the blending of spoon and fork. I don't really get it, but it's a happy coincidence. Look at that. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, so I know that we are coming up on the hour, but I wanted to jump really quickly into some uh, general questions for all of you to you know jump in and answer. Um, so let me see here. Um, so the topic of sexism came up a lot in our original question thread. Uh, so I'm going to ask one of the iterations of it. Uh, so Mary Catherine Carr asks, I want to touch on sexism in the sport. What a surprise coming from me. So have any of you been victims of sexism within robot combat sport and how have you coped 
What advice would you give girls who might encounter it? And what advice wish, do you wish that you could go back in time and give your younger self? So Andrea, I'm gonna throw this over to you first and anybody else feel free to, to chime in as well because this is, this is something important. Yeah, I'm actually glad that the topic of sexism hasn't really come up on this panel so far. I think we've all been talking about the awesome things we make, uh, independent of the fact that we're women, because gender is really independent of your ability to make stuff, which is what makes this sport so great. Um, I'd say I, I went to an all-girls high school, so I learned how to build robots in a very supportive environment. It wasn't until I was in college that I even realized it was kind of a boys' sport. Um, but by then, I had about four years of combat robotics experience and all the boys that were just learning to do it in college. So I was very well accepted. I've been lucky that I've never really experienced sexism in the sport. I would say definitely not from the builders. I think especially in this sport, if you prove you know what you're doing, everybody's just happy to meet a friend who loves this crazy sport as much as they do. Uh, it's a pretty niche sport to be in. Um, but I was disappointed when the show started airing, I actually started getting a lot of those kind of comments in the fan base. So for me, this was totally unexpected because I had such a great experience within the community itself. Um, and throughout the first few seasons, really until the last season, I haven't really wanted to talk much about being a woman in the sport because I figured to all the little girls watching, I don't need to insult their intelligence. They can see that I'm a girl. They can see that I'm being competitive and giving it all I've got. Um, but especially the last season when we actually did really well for the first time, I've realized that it's really more important for the little boys watching. No, no kid believes they can't do anything until they're told otherwise. And they're going to be, these girls are going to be told otherwise by the boys. So for boys to grow up with Witch Doctor as their favorite robot, because it's awesome and super competitive and throws Gigabyte up in the air, um, that means that when they see a girl on the robotics team, they're going to say, hey, she built robots like Witch Doctor. They're not going to think, oh, I've never seen her in the garage with her dad fixing the car, so she probably doesn't know what they're doing, you know? So I've really kind of refocused. I don't need to inspire the girls. They're awesome. They're ready to go. We need to inspire the boys to, to really make it a welcoming community. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Does, that, does anybody else want to jump in, or I can ask one more quick question if we have time? Sarah, yes. Sarah, you're on mute. Hi, sorry. Um, can I just say um, that um, sexism is really annoying and, and, it, and like Andrea said, it's mostly coming from the fan base. However, conversely, there are also some amazing fans like Mary Catherine Carr who bring the sass and the clapbacks and everything. And it's amazing. And, and I wish it didn't have to exist so that those things didn't have to happen. But the fact that people like Mary swoop in and, and honorably defend us is amazing. And I want to go on record as saying, Mary, when BattleBots happens, because I know you, you're intending to attend filming, uh, come and do my pulverizer. Okay. <laughs> oh, that is exciting, Mary. I hope that you heard that. I know you're there on the chat. Um, I'd love to get one more question if we have time. If not, just kick me off. Um, but this is from Lindsay Yuriko who wants to know, do you have a, a female in science fiction or fantasy hero? Uh, and have they inspired you to do anything? So again, open question, whoever wants to answer, go for it. I have a lot. <laughs> I could rattle off of a several. Obviously, Ellen Ripley, 
because, oh my God, badass woman in space shooting aliens and just slapping down the space marines. Uh, Sam Carter, Stargate SG-1. Yes. Uh, Janeway. Janeway as and well. Seven of Nine. They're, we're fortunate these days to have so many. We're, we still don't have like a lot, but we have so many. And for like younger audiences too, we have like Katara in Legend of uh, ugh, Last Airbender. <laughs> and we have uh, like She-Ra. I, I personally love the new She-Ra. It is amazing. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. It's We'll let other people talk now if they want. If they want to chime in. I'm going to push my luck with one more question. Uh, also from Lindsay, and I think this is a, a good way to end the chat. Um, what would you say not only to girls, but to people who might be hesitant to break into the sport? What advice can you give them? Like Shia LaBeouf says, just do it. Uh, I'd say yeah, come, come to our 7 p.m. panel. We have some local builders who have a wide range of experiences. Some have been to one event, some have been to a bunch. Uh, but there's this whole world of combat robotics outside the TV show. So if you want to get involved, definitely come to the 7 o'clock panel and ask them a ton of questions. Give them a hard time. If they let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> Lilith, Andrea, Jen, Sarah, Julia, thank you so much for being here. I'm sorry to everyone in the audience. We didn't get to everybody's question, but maybe we can do a follow-up somehow, either over text or something. I really appreciate everybody's time. Thank you so much for participating and really can't wait to see you guys in the battle box again soon. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Again, also thank you to all the panelists. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for making from Miami. We are definitely humbled for you guys to be on today. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we travel to Atlanta, where researchers at Georgia Tech have designed a robot called Slothbot that is designed to hang in trees and move very, very slowly, observing plants, animals, and the environment below. Slothbot is an ultra-energy-efficient robot and will only move it if it needs to find a sunny spot to recharge its solar-powered batteries. The researchers are testing a single Slothbot in the Atlanta Botanical Garden, but say that one day they could deploy Slothbots in forests around the world to gather data about our changing climate. Um, this bot is so very, very cute. I encourage everybody to go uh, look it up right now because it's... I mean, it's not quite as cute as a real sloth, but it's like, it's pretty up there. And uh, I mean, considering all the wildfires and just what is going on with our climate and with our environment, to have something that can kind of just continue existing without harming the environment around it by its presence, while giving us data that hopefully we could use to either predict these type of events or, you know, whatever the case may be, however they choose to use them. I think that's so cool. What do you guys think? I love Slothbot. Uh, I feel like I've never uh, emotionally connected with a robot that, you know, like kind of encompasses my life, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there's definitely days where, where I, I only move to, uh, you know, follow the, 
spot of sun on the floor. <laughs> Have you guys uh, ever seen a real sloth fall into the water? No. Why? Kyle, are you going to bring us on a tour of your strange YouTube habits once again? <laughs> yes. yes, I am. If you ever want to see a sloth go from moving sloth speed to moving normal creature speed, watch it fall into the water. They swim what? to shore in like, like it's really like they go from slow motion to just regular speed for a brief period of time. And then as soon as they reach the edge of the shore, it's just right back to slow motion climbing up the tree. It's the strangest thing that I think I've ever seen in the animal kingdom. How I, did you find these videos, Kyle? <laughs> well, my children got obsessed with sloths. Um, they thought it was so silly that an animal exists that moves in slow motion. And um, we found out that they spend a lot of time out over the water. And so my daughter asked me, asked me what happens when a sloth falls in the water. So we looked it up. And turns out they swim normal speed. Wow. Which makes me wonder if they're just like faking it in the trees. <laughs> I, I watched a sloth video the other day. It was very time consuming. <laughs> they are very time consuming. <laughs> um, I want to use this opportunity to talk about my very favorite, uh, not only sloth video, but perhaps my favorite video on YouTube, which is, they're very tiny little baby sloths at a like a conservatory for them. And in order to treat them for mites, they shave off all their little hairs. And then they just look like chicken wings, like little sloth chicken wings. And then they rub them in butter to kill the mites. And then they wrap them in pajamas that are like made out of gauze, but they're like, they have stars on them and they look like pajamas. And then these little tiny little baby sloths have little custom pajamas and it's so cute. And they're covered in butter. <laughs> and they're covered in butter, but it's not, you know, it's just to protect them. I got, I got news for you. The first two thirds of that story, I was getting absolutely terrified where you're going. With <laughs> yeah. I thought you were describing a horrifying recipe. I did not no. know where that was going. I mean, between uh, my co-host here, I got one that's watching sloth drowning YouTube videos and <laughs> buttering them up and roasting them. This is ridiculous. <laughs> no, no, no. Sloths are wonderful swimmers. They're very good at it. And that's what's so surprising. Wow. I know I have a new YouTube video to watch tonight. <laughs> but at any rate, do you think Slothbot can swim? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing is sinking to the bottom of the nearest body of water. That <laughs> oh, that would be so sad. It is very cute, and it has a cute face, and I love robots with cute faces, so I think we should put faces on all the robots. Like, it, you know, it tickled me. Well, that's about it <laughs> for us. Is he staying committed to this? Oh, God, Chris. Today. Wow. <laughs> we'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another final panel discussion from Maker Fair Miami. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. 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 Bye.